0: Hello and welcome one more time to 100 Steps to Drag, the podcast where I sit with different drag artists and ask them, how did you turn your life into this beautiful ball of fabulousness that we have today? My guest today, all the way from New York City, dragging extraordinaire businessman. Oh, this is going to be a good episode. Please welcome Tuna Melt.
1: Oh my god, I'm so honored.
0: I am the one that's honored to have you here. Thank you so much for being my guest.
1: Oh my god, of course. I love your TikTok. You know, I love seeing the good thing about TikTok is that I could see how other people are performing in different areas. And I love it. And it has such a great community. So I see what you do on your TikTok and the way you empower people and teach people. So I'm excited to be here.
0: Thank you, and I love your TikTok. That's how I found you too. I was like, oh my gosh! I saw the first video, is like taking drag as a business. I'm like, yes, 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 and that is actually that inspired today's episode: to drag as a business.
1: What do you want to know? We could we could go all day. We could we might have to do a part one, part two.
0: Literally. Oh my gosh. Well, first I want to get to know you before we get into the drag as a business. How long have you been performing? How would you define your drag? Give me the the Tuna melter rundown.
1: Oh my God. So where do I even start? Before drag, I, you know, I, I was just working full time. I'm a business administration partner in music tech which is why I know a lot about the business aspect of it. Performing has always been a dream of mine, but I never felt like I fit into the spaces that the music industry has because of, you know, being queer, being trans, non-binary. And, you know, for a while, I just kind of buried that dream down a bit of me performing as a kid. Like I was always singing. I, you know, I was always in choirs. I did theater and I've always wanted to work in the music business, um, but you know there wasn't a lot of opportunities for someone like me to be main stage. So I just put my head down and I worked, and you know I stumbled upon this class uh, by my drag dad, Lady Bedbug. It's a digital, it's a hybrid digital and in person class at Brooklyn Arts Exchange. And that's how it started, because I was really just looking for more queer friends and more trans friends. I was feeling lonely in corporate America because there's not a lot of people like me, but I have picked up a lot. And the good thing is that I did get kind of like a free MBA in music tech. And I'm trying to be as generous as possible because a lot of the strategies in business are gatekept. And you do see the way... You do see the way businesses operate and if you don't know what the business is about it is easy in my opinion to be taken advantage of especially as an artist just starting out. So that's that's the shriel. That kind of ties into my drag too because you know growing up and also just growing up in the music industry wherever I worked in music you're, you're kind of close to the artist you know. So you're you're looking at them. I I used to work in artist development, so I I've, I've looked at bands from the indie band stage and artists from the indie stage all the way up to the, you know, the big end stage with event planning and being around these shows and like looking at artists and seeing how they perform and what they bring to the stage. So Tunamel is very much that energy but like reclaiming that space as a drag king because why not, you know? Like, it, it was always a dream of mine. And then I did the competition with the Cake Boys Takes the Cake. And then I was a runner-up. And that was a little over a year ago. And it's just been nonstop since.
0: It's, like, <laughs> it's, wild. <laughs> it's wild. It's wild.
1: like, boom!
0: That's great to hear because... Uh... It's hard. First of all, I know corporate America is so white. It's so very much the same. When I first joined my first like job out of college at Corporate America, I'm like, ooh, like, what am I even doing here? At points it was even like uncomfortable being like the only brown person in the building, other than I mean, the maintenance people. But I was a recruiter. So every time that I was at a career fair at a college and I would see like a a, a queer kid, I'm like, oh, OK, we have to interview them no matter what. <laughs> so it's it's I don't know. I, I, I always try to do that to, to give back.
1: Yes, giving back. And I think something that came up to me in my mind while you're speaking is about glass ceilings, because working in music tech, I have. I have dreams of being an industry person, like in the sense of like, I know what I'm talking about. When it comes to drag and when it comes to queer culture, and when it comes to queer music, I know what I'm talking about. But because there's such a lack of representation in corporate America and in all spaces, it falls on deaf ears. And it's not, well, sometimes it's intentional, but for the most, you know, like, I, I think that's the hard part, like kind of tackling whiteness in corporate America is that it's like, no, you don't see this <laughs> and like, and then also you don't see this, therefore you don't see us as queer trans people who are also content creators, therefore we're, we're at an erasure and we're not included in data and in your numbers because it's not a priority. But then on the flip side, when something is not a priority, what people are really saying is that it doesn't make any money, it doesn't have any ad money, it doesn't have any ad spend. But it's like, okay, but how can that be? Because when you go to a drag event, you know, like especially on, um, as you get more established, you're, you're looking at like 500 people in a crowd. You can't pull that sometimes as an indie band in New York. Like how many people have been dragged to a show at like 10 o'clock, but there's something special about drag right now in this moment. You can quote me here. You can hear it first. I know drag is about to enter its gold era and we need to be at the front of it. If we are really about dismantling the systems and redistributing equity as it is, we need to be in the front of it because once it hits a certain mass in numbers, whether it's data, whether it's uh, trends, whatever, whatever is picked up by the algorithms and the, the social media sites, that's when they reach out to you.
0: I love that you mentioned the glass ceiling because I feel like in drag that also happens very often, especially with drag king representation, at least here in Los Angeles. I'm not sure if in New York City is any different, but it's very limited, the amount of drag kings that I see working out there at a given time. Is, is it similar in New York City?
1: I think this is why in a year I've been able to grow a reputation, uh, reputation for myself because it is limited. So when you look at the drag king and the drag thing community, you see a group that exists and we know our potential and we know our drag is valid and we know it, it pops and you know our community loves it, the people who love drag kings and drag things specifically. And it's also a complete lack of access as well too because uh, to be trans and, and or also black or a person of color, you know, this this is a heavily marginalized group within New York City. And I see active discrimination, like my friends in the community, my performers, like, they are working so hard just to get by. So there's a lack of access, and there's a lack of care for our community. So that translates, the, the stage is a mirror, right? So that translates on stage, because it's like, You know, it takes a certain level of money to do drag. It takes a certain level of availability. And then as you grow, you do have to learn the languages of the business. You know, even if you are an anti-capitalist, capitalism is still the operating machinery. So we need people to know how to run the machinery so we can like, I don't know, throw like a tool in it you know
0: <laughs> like, you have to know how the machine works so you can change it and operate it I mean, to your advantage
1: i watch a lot of star wars and you know who you always need a person on the inside okay <laughs> always need a person on the inside to get you into the empire so you can fuck shit up so when i look <laughs> at the drag queen and the drag thing community across the board yes of course there is a complete lack of representation and it's almost kind of like destiny to be in this position because I've experienced a glass ceiling at the highest form that you could like in the empire. So to come here and then see a glass ceiling within the drag king and the drag thing community, for me, I'm just like, let's fucking go. I have dealt with scarier people. <laughs> like, and I think people are not ready for that in the drag queen community let alone the drag king and drag thing community. So when I walk into the thing and like, I come in and I'm like, this is my rate. This is what I do. And this is the service I offer people. People are often taken aback by that. And it's like, well, I've also done the structure in the research and on my end to know what it's gonna take to propel it forward. And that's the hard part because I am trying to teach kings and things to negotiate their rates. And I know this is this is a need in the queen community too, right? But my community is the king and thing community. We are completely like, we're about to hit mainstream, the kings and things. It's a gut feeling just from what I've seen in my experience in the music industry and different subgenres. Okay. After salsa, there was merengue. Okay. It was inevitable. All right. That, that's how I look at it with drag kings and things, right? It's inevitable. But I am concerned about the complete lack of access and the marginalization of our community, in particular, the black trans kings and things, because it's rough. It, it's really rough. I guess you could say I'm like a dad.
0: <laughs> you have that energy. And I love that about you, because I feel like I have mom energy. So... A lot of the things that you're saying, they're like, yes, yes, everything is clicking. So Queens, if you have a show out there that you book, book drag kings and drag things. We need the representation out there. And I think that, like you said, a lot of drag performers don't have this awareness of how much should they charge or should they be paid. But how are they going to start knowing if they don't get booked? You know, I think that that's a problem that I see here in L.A., that I don't feel like they... They get booked enough to like get an idea. I'm like, okay, this is kind of like standard in the industry, or this is kind of like how things are run. You know what I'm saying?
1: It's so interesting because it's, it's similar in New York city. So the first thing I did for me, it's studying, right. And it's studying and it's paying attention and watching how, how everything works. So I come in, I look at people, you know, and I ask questions, Hey, what's the going rate? I'm not sure you know this maybe it's 100, maybe it's 150, maybe it's 175 and I'm like, okay, all right so that's that's a little cloudy and it's like, well, how do you produce And it's like, oh well you know you do this or you do that and I'm like okay, so when I hear kind of um, vague stuff like that means nothing's no resources are being shared with people and that's a shame and I don't I don't know what is at the, the source of that. Uh, maybe it's a lack of awareness, or maybe it's because it's such a survival mode. And, you know, it's so, it's so competitive that like, you don't want to give out all of your secrets and such, but it also makes you so primed to be taken advantage of when your career goes, because if you're at like 200,000 followers and you're only pulling in three grand for performance, you're losing money, go for 10 grand. Because I promise you, the people on my side, especially because no one like us really works in the industry, they don't know our rates.
0: And share this information. <laughs> I think that's one of the, the reasons I started doing like tips on my TikTok, because I would hate when I would ask a queen something out here and they would give me a shitty vague answer. Even the smallest things like, oh, where did you get those lashes? And they'd be like, oh, um, I don't know, so, like at some beauty store. And I'm like, girl. It's, it's a pair of lashes and like, let alone, I never like dared to ask about Raid or anything because I was like, if they're not sharing something as simple as a pair of lashes, like why would they share anything else? That's why I'm like super grateful for my drag mom because she was the one that was like, okay, this is a, this kind of show. It's usually this Raid, this kind of other show is this, yada, yada.
1: Queen culture, I do think from my experience is a bit more intense Um, especially in LA or New York, because if you're LA or New York, like there's a good possibility you might go on drag race. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's fierce competition. You're going against for paid gigs and really important bars. There's not a lot of spaces. So for me, like I can see how that impacts queen culture and, and especially for someone like me saying like, Oh, you got to do this. You got to do that for the Kings and things. And it's like, I can see why sometimes um, I guess I can rub people the wrong way. But the reality is, is that this benefits you too, you know, like you have to kind of know the language that people are speaking and the budgets in which they're operating with and what they're looking for and what they expect. And, you know, I didn't think I was going to be doing this, but. I'm having conversations with kings and things you know like it's like let's do this let's do that or what do I need or how do you know it's 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 busy
0: it's busy but it's necessary somebody somebody's got to have the talk with everybody with entertainers you know it's like that talk how much to charge etc also people on tiktok reach out to me and be like hey usually how much would you charge and i'm like i try to do my best to like let them know because geographically can really depend a lot if you're like in the west coast or in salt lake city so it's hard but somebody's got to share this
1: so for someone like me, like I perform like 2 to 3 times a month. And that and that's good for me for my energy levels and like I'm very fortunate that I don't need drag to survive. But at the same time too, like I don't get in drag ideally for like less than 150. If it's someone I know, okay, you know, like and if it's like, you know, like a producer that I love, you know, I'll make exceptions. But when it's people I don't know, it's 150. You know, it's, it's 150. Like if I don't know who you are and you look like you come from a company and or a venue and you look like you come from an established business, I don't go less than 150. It really should be like no less than 200, to be honest, but I also acknowledge that I am growing my numbers. Once I get my content strategy in and I start like really honing that in, then I can relook my leverage, you know, like my leverage when I go in and I negotiate my rates, you have to look at it like that. Like you can't take every free gig. And I think that's the hard part with drag kings and drag things. It's like where I'm I'm trying to meet them where they're at in New York City. You have to negotiate for yourself. You have to.
0: If you you don't do it, nobody else will.
1: Like when you go to like the tech spaces, like bare minimum, like even if you have like 1500 followers, you go in minimum 500. You don't go less. If you just started, in drag and you're at like fifteen hundred followers, don't take less than five hundred. Don't take less than five hundred. Now if you're established and like you're someone who's like uh you know like one of the rue girls and you have like hundreds and thousands don't go less than ten thousand that kind of that kind of fucking money (laughs) I'm sorry. And it's like and I know because I've been the person on the side. Yo I've been to I've been to bands where I was giving $10,000 for a band to book for an event. And I'm like, go higher. I'm literally telling them, go, because, <laughs> you know, especially if you're queer, especially if you're Latina, like I'm out here, just like, yo, there's money. Like, come on, burn it. You like, push it, push the envelope. Anyway, I could talk about this for, you know, hours.
0: <laughs> no, that's true. we might have to do a part two, but you've been sharing so many great, Tips and tricks for getting your money. But like, what is like one piece of advice for somebody that's barely trying to take drag from their hobby to a little bit more of a business, a little bit more of a stable flow of cash and income? Something you would tell them.
1: I've been thinking about this because you know, we've been emailing and I'll I think the big difference between a hobby and a business is the basic knowledge that whoever you work with it is an agreement you need to deliver something and that is sometimes a hard pill to swallow and i i am very careful on it because sometimes that narrow-minded thinking is what prevents people like us from being in these spaces and at the end of the day you need to provide a phenomenal service for me it's like i knew to kind of set up shop when I saw the velocity of which the Drag King and Drag thing community was growing. That for me, you know, is the trends and numbers to look at. If they cared, you know, maybe they would see something, but the Drag King and the Drag thing community is, is growing rapidly. And I, I set up shop because I knew at the end of the day that like, if I invest in my, my makeup, my wardrobe and my act development, and my mixes then I have something that I can sell okay so one you have to understand step one you are providing something it is a two-way street and you have to look at your drag and you have to ask yourself do people lose their shit when I'm on stage okay because if people are not screaming howling like waving their hands then you need to work on your act you know it you know when you have something special you know you have something special because you go out and you perform and people come up to you and they say I'm gonna book you I see this in our people be like why aren't people booking me why aren't people booking me and it's like okay because you're not looking into who the audience is there's work that comes in if you want this to be a business then there are things that come with that in understanding your agreement There is uh, understanding audience development, and it's also understanding your competitive intelligence. It's also looking at the market. And you have to look at the market, and when you look at the market and you look at the venues, who are consistently on stages? Now, I'm not saying sacrifice your art. I want you to be as unique as possible, but you have to hold the audience's attention. You have to hold the audience attention and they need to go to the bar. They need to buy things and they need to drive business to that business. So that is like kind of the basics and kind of uh, understanding that and like, okay, where am I? Where am I at? Am I 10 people? Am I 15 people?
0: Yeah, this is the reality. And I agree with you. I feel like all that is great. It's fascinating. And it comes with like a shift in mentality because when you're doing drag as a quote unquote hobby or something that you're doing like every so often for fun, which is great. And I love that. You don't really see it as a job, as a work. You know, that's one of the big lessons that I've learned. You have to see drag as, as a work. You know, a lot of the times entertainers are very late. They are very unprepared. They are very unprofessional too. So I think that one of the main things that I would recommend is to see it as actual work. You know, yes, it's a very fun work because you get to dance, because you get to interact with the audience, because you get to do art on stage. But at the end of the day, like you said, you have to deliver something. And it's really hard to deliver something if you are not prepared, if you are running late, if you're not professional.
1: I think the best way is that when drag is a hobby, it fulfills you when drag is a business, you know, it's about everyone but you. Because it's not even just about the businesses. It's about the audience. What do people love about performances? It takes people away. It takes people away. It makes them think. Even if your drag isn't someone else's cup of tea, you think after it. And there there are so many artists that I've seen that I'm like, Wow, I never would have thought of it like that because the way that they deliver their drag is with such confidence, structure, thought, and intention that it doesn't matter what your drag is. And that is to say, I don't want people hearing this and thinking that if you have the best wardrobe in the world, your drag is gonna be phenomenal. It's like sabor, you know, you have to have sabor. You have to be able to put everything on that stage, everything on that stage. So and and then you got to repeat, repeat, you know, so there's work that comes behind it, (laughs) like the preparation, the what, which is why, which is why your rates need to go up, because that preparation goes into your rate.
0: Absolutely. People don't understand. People at the bar ask me, oh, like I saw you made so many tips in just like three minutes. That's that must be, you know, such great make to wake money. And I'm like, baby, that's not three minutes. What you saw is three minutes. You didn't see the hours that it took me to get ready. You didn't see me the hours I spent creating and thinking about that mix, making my outfit or having somebody make my outfit or everything that goes behind it. It's not just the three minutes. You know, you're just seeing uh, literally the tip of the iceberg into everything else that goes into drag
1: it's like you have to be a rock star you have to be i don't care if your drag is about oh. vaping you know but is that you you own it 110 percent, and you do it like a fucking rock star you do it in a way that leaves people thinking that is me that is incredible and they're left in awe that's when you know it's time <laughs>
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. And I love that this a song comment that you did because it's true. Swipe so I always say it, swiping a credit card is not a talent. I've seen a lot of entertainers with great costumes, great jewelry, chess pieces, everything. And then when they get on stage, I'm like, wow, I feel like I want to go to the bathroom now. <laughs> and I hate it.
1: Well, amongst our white counterparts, that's just how it is. Sorry, did I just drop tea?
0: hot piping tea
1: tea? oh my god you want the tea like we celebrate white mediocrity way too much in the drag community it's like cool you're skinny and cute whatever and what else yeah what else but you know what there is a fan base that only cares about how you look you know and like some people just love to look at someone who's pretty and hot and handsome. So I'm like, all right, guess I'll just have to work five times harder.
0: Totally seen that. Oh my gosh. On social media and on stage too. I'm like, she's literally doing nothing. (laughs) Why is everyone going crazy? But yeah, I think like that's one of the things that has shifted so much in the last couple of years. Because I remember like when I moved here to Long Beach in 2016, it was more about like the performance of it all. And now it's more about like, how you look and i'm like hmm interesting turn of events
1: the best drag the best drag king and drag thing performers right now are black trans kings and things in the new york city community and they know who they are and i see them constantly fighting just just to just to be seen and then it's like there's no access there's no access to different stages because people are like well it doesn't make money They'll hit you with that. They'll hit you. Oh, it doesn't make money, or you know, a, co- a coded way of saying we lack complete diversity, equity, and inclusion.
0: And it's the same over here. I was talking to my second guest was Johnny Gentleman, who is a dragging trailblazer here in LA. He's been opening a lot of oh. doors. Shout out to Johnny. I love you, papi, if you're listening to this.
1: <laughs> Johnny, I'm so sorry I didn't make it to your bachelor party when you were here in New York. I will. I am so sorry, but I will meet you. I will meet you.
0: <laughs> he's great. And he was saying the same the same story over here. Like, oh, it doesn't make money. It doesn't make money. And he's like, how come I have a sold-out brunch every Sunday in downtown LA if an all drag king brunch in, in downtown LA that is sold out and like, what is your argument? This It's not making any sense, but you know what? I'm very hopeful. I know that it's about to shift, you know, because I feel like venues and bars are going to start catching up, especially with so many people having this conversation around booking Different kinds of drag entertainers. At least I've had a couple of conversations with like show producers, and they're like, "Oh wow, like I didn't know that I was actually in this position where I can give out more spaces." And I'm like, "I'm glad that we're having this conversation right now, right here, and that you can address it." Personally, I do feel like in the future, and hopefully soon, it's it's going to start changing, especially as we continue to bring awareness to you know booking all kinds of entertainers.
1: Well, it's inevitable. inevitable and that's what venues don't understand at the moment from from my experience and from someone who's been in the machinery i get it at the end of the day you have to hit your bottom line you have to you have to cover all your operational expenses you have to make money and you have to keep the business going sometimes you don't have time to take quote a risk trash but whatever however that doesn't mean that the data isn't there for the change, okay? Like the next generation's Gen Z is uh, more culturally diverse. They have more accessibility to be queer and trans in life, even in the face of disgusting anti-trans legislation and hate during this time. They are shifting the way the world works. Gen Z doesn't watch their entertainment on TV. Gen Z watches their entertainment. Pop, Pop isn't, like they don't care about pop. It's about niche. That's why TikTok changed the way social media operates because now it's all about short form because they realized that all of these niche cultures, whether it's, you know, frogs with hats on TikTok or, you know, this niche culture of 1800s, you know, mead making, it still makes money. So it's inevitable.
0: What do you think is the most important personality trait for somebody to work as a drag entertainer?
1: collaboration, you know, and like, and that goes along with uh, Mix Melakiki, who is another outstanding, like, king that I, I admire, and like, I, I love, because one thing about Mel is that they, they support everyone, and they're collaborative, and that, and that goes all the ways for our community. I think, I think our community has, so much pain in it that I think sometimes we're scared to collaborate with each other, but we, we need all of us in this. We need all of us in this.
0: It takes a village, especially if we're trying to change the way that things work, you know? It's not something that somebody can do alone.
1: It takes a village because drag is under attack too politically. All states are red. All states are red. They, some of them just have bigger cities. You look at California, you're like, well, thank God LA exists. (laughs)
0: Literally, there's so much (laughs) red territory out there. I'm like, oh my God, I'm just glad to live here.
1: Same thing with New York. I'm from one of the most conservative counties in the country from New York state. And that's like an hour and a half away. Like they would gladly protest, uh, you know, drag story hour. I don't think all businesses have, you know, the threat of, your existence hanging at the thread every time you go on stage and that's something globally we're all feeling so we do have to rethink the structures together like I get that some things have been done a certain way but this way does not feed our community it doesn't it does not clothe our community it does not feed our community it doesn't pay rent but it pays rent for other people so we have to look at that and we have to look at a group like, okay, what is our leverage? What do, what do we negotiate? What do we what do we create as a community? Hence me being on this podcast.
0: Yes. <laughs> and you know what? It's so funny now that you've mentioned that it doesn't always pay rent for us, but yes, for other people. Because mm-hmm. again, the businesses are making a lot of money. And there's this Mexican drag queen. She was in La Más Dragas. Her name is Cordelia Durango. And she was being interviewed in, in a show on YouTube. And she's like, "Um, I think they asked her, can you make a living out of drag? And she goes, well, let me tell you something. The only one making a living in drag in Mexico are the producers of La Más Draga, Because they are the ones that are actually making money. The rest of us are still working at the bars for pennies. And I think it's probably a similar story here in the States. The only ones that are making a living... In drag, it's a very select group of people that are my real girls, that are some of the producers, and maybe, I don't know, maybe whoever is getting booked and blessed. But even then, even when a lot of my friends are full-time entertainers and they are booked and blessed, and sometimes we share the same struggles, right? Like we're trying to make ends meet. So I am 100% behind you. Like if we want to make things change for our community, we all have to be on the same page.
1: I mean, I'm like, here, I'm like, do I say something brutally honest or do I just leave it? But, all right, we're going to go brutally honest. Like, if watching where your favorite queens are after RuPaul's Drag Race does not show you the complete exploitation of the queer community for profit, I don't know what is. Queens, like, look, even though I've been doing drag for over a year you know, New York City is still like, like a a haven for drag. And you see so many queens go up and like, you look at people's net worth, like, I don't know, there's RuPaul's network. And then, you know, you Google Trixie and it's like 1 million or something. Hold on. I I got, we we got to look up these numbers, but we look at the net worth. But when you look at it, you're like, you're only worth a million and you're the number one. If that doesn't show you how little pennies we're working for, because I'm just like, yo, how do you have, how do you have like X amount of followers and you you're still working for pennies and it's like what you know I, I would love to I would love to figure out a way to just bring more power back to us
0: yeah that's one of the things that I've always had on the back of my head when it comes to drag race right there everyone's like oh my god well not everyone I'm not that popular but <laughs> some people have been like oh did you apply and I'm like oh. I don't know, like, first of all, that contract, it's its a lot. And I haven't heard a lot of great things about it, especially this is a great point that you're making, right? Like, how come Trixie is like the number one superstar, has so many brands, and it's only making this much money, and it's only worth this much money?
1: Trixie, if I ever meet you, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to read you. I'm just trying to pull a point.
0: No, girl, we're just trying to bring awareness yeah. to this. I feel like she'd be okay with it.
1: So number one in uh Rich's Queens, right? I mean Mama Rue, 60 million, you know. Of
0: course. Uh,
1: I wonder how. And then Trixie Rocky. Mattel. <laughs> right? <laughs> mm. Uh Trixie Mattel estimated net worth is 10 million, which is which is honestly like it's pretty great. Like I don't have ten million dollars, you yeah. know, that that's something to look forward to. You look at Bianca Del Rio, 4 million estimated, Alyssa, 3, Katya, 1, okay? And then Raven, 1, Shangela, 1 million, which you would expect all of them to kind mm-hmm. of be there, right? Like all of those rude girls. So Raja is under 1 million. Violet Chachki is 750,000 net worth. If Violet Chachki's net worth is uh, 750,000, we're in fucking trouble
0: we are in- because she has a oh, one woman show across the country she's got podcasts. podcast she's got shows i'm like <laughs> millions of followers
1: how long has she been in the game too you know like it's not like it's not like season seven was last year you know this is like so a long way of saying like that that impacts us too that that glass ceiling made all the glass ceilings for us that much lower so when you look at drag as a business you do want to think about that you know am i ready to go on drag race am i willing to invest ten thousand to fifteen thousand dollars in my wardrobe because look who wins the stylish queens either either you're gifted either you're a prodigy or you 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 have Mm -hmm. you have stylists on hand Mm -hmm. so and when you look at the numbers, like Vice came out with this article and like the Queens gave the numbers like, like 10, 15, 10 to $15,000. And it's like, and that's why it's like, okay, this is why self-made is a trash idea because just to get ahead, you need at least 20,000 for a competition
0: Yeah, without guaranteeing anything. Because if you think about that list that you just mentioned, the top queens up there are queens that their seasons aired years ago. And they've had all these years to, like, work their asses off into getting that. But none of them is, like, later than season seven or eight. You know what I'm saying? Bob the Drag Queen is not even on that list.
1: I think Bob didn't have the same... Uh, like in that article I was reading, the Vice article that I don't think I don't think uh, Bob spent the same amount. Uh, but again, you're either a prodigy or like because it's like how incredible was Bob on like season oh, eight? Killed
0: it, killed it, mind blowing.
1: Exactly. So it's like you know. So yeah, it, 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 it I don't want to use the word trickle down because that's trash too. But like when I say the your glass ceiling like there's a glass ceiling there for you too and like it's not just about the little people down here we're actually trying to tell you that collectively like you are killing us for pennies
0: (laughs) slowly killing me softly with drag race
1: i know i know and it's like you know how much you know how much money these artists make oh my god oh that
0: But let's talk about something a little bit more lively. Let's talk about your goals. I ask all my guests this. What are your short-term and long-term goals for your drag? And I'm always super curious to learn about these.
1: I started drag in my 30s. And that's something I kind of like struggle with because the majority of the drag community is in their 20s. At least that I know. And then like there's just there's I, I actually think like starting drag in your 30s is actually kind of amazing because I came in just very like all of the mess of my 20s did not come with my drag. Um, so for me, it's like I'm making moves as fast as possible because I know I only have so many performing years like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to sound like womp womp, but you know, I already have a trouble going up the subway stairs. So like, I'm, I'm being realistic here. No,
0: I'm in my 30s and I can relate. So yes, yeah. these knees are giving up already. <laughs>
1: exactly. I was like, I, there's only, there's only so many ways I can hide a knee brace. Like once that summer's up, you know what I mean? It's like, it's already showing. So for me, like, I'm just trying to experience this as much as possible. Like I talk a lot about the business aspect of it and You know, I do really try to focus on Tuna and Tuna's art form. So that's why, you know, you spoke with my manager, Marielle, and like, we have something together because we know something, there's something there. Like, drag kings are at a cusp right now. So we work together. I handle the operations, but I really just want to hone in on my drag and just like really like just like perfect what it is that I need to perfect because that is the thing that I never have time for like it's just like either I'm fixing my AC or and that's like another thing too like rich people is like if you have somebody cleaning your house I hate you I'm like oh just put these clothes away and lose like an hour of rehearsing um so short term like I just want to I just want to be able to connect with people and you know just show them My drag is very regal. Cause I want people, like when I walk into the room, like they're like, no, like this person holds themselves. Cause I want kings to feel that way. And what's interesting is like some of my favorite audience members are straight quote, cis men, you know, quote, right? Cause we we can't really tell, but like they come up to me and they're like, yo, where do you shop? Or like, when you know, (laughs) because, and I'm like, come here. We're going to heal. We're going to heal together. Um, So for me, it's just like, just living the best that I can, because nothing is guaranteed. And like, I've been in music too long to know that, like, you know, when there's that moment, you you know, when it's a window, and we are in that window. Like, we we are about to hit gold era for all of us. So we'll see, you know, where that goes. And so ideally, like, I want to make the best out of performing, but then also, like, really continue to teach people. Like, if I could have my own company where I teach people content strategy, um, you know, I help people build partnerships, you know, we get people going, or we also provide mutual aid, and we we put the money back into the community. That That's, like, end goal for me. You know, I just want to be, like, I just want to be neighborhood famous, you know?
0: I love like, the phrase I, neighborhood famous.
1: You know, like I walk into CBS and people are like, oh, but like, that's it. Cause like fame, I I will tell you something right now. Fame is not everything. And I think I, I used to be so jealous of like watching stars in the music industry, but I promise you fame is not everything. As I've grown older, I'm like, okay, like I just want to be able to live my dream. Like, I don't want anything attached to that. However, if there happens to be a casual revolution, I'm in
0: if there happens to be a slight casual revolution just sign me up
1: just sign me up just sign me up so and honestly i want to go to la i want to go to chicago i want to go to la i want to go see tenderoni in chicago i want to go to la i want to meet you i want to go hang out with uh i daddy and uh and johnny. johnny and i want to go see the kings in la And then I want to go to Chicago, I want to go to Boston, I want to go to COLA, you know, I want to go to Columbia County, I want to go see King Percosex, you know, like, so if dreams come true, that that would be it. You know, like, I I want to go outside of New York City.
0: I love that. I I can totally see you having your own company, teaching people strategy, and honestly, like, also touring to all these places, come on, the sky is our limit. I, I have this calendar. It's like a little paper calendar. My boss that happens to be white gave it to me uh, at the beginning of the year. And it has like these little quotes. And for the most part, they're super corny. But today's quote said something along the lines of, when you call your dream your plan, it actually makes it work different in your brain. So from now on, I'm calling my goals my plan. So I was like, I love your plan. And I know that you can make your plan happen.
1: You know, it's, it's so funny because it's like what you just said in essence is a lot of strategy, planning and strategy and, you know, planning and execution. So it's funny because like we look at it as nothing, right. But so much strategy goes into uh, content, a way of saying like, I hope you realize that you're thinking strategically. It's not just like a little thing you are thinking strategically and you have a roadmap. And like you hear people throw that word around, roadmap. What does this look like before launch, during launch, after launch?
0: We run out of time super quick. It was a great conversation. I can't believe like it's it's already been about an hour, but I want to give you the space of promote anything you want to promote.
1: It's just so funny because I was just going to say, I was sitting here looking at you and thinking like, I'm just excited for what's ahead for you. Well, one, I have an upcoming show in New York City. I have Transcendence. That's a show I co-produce. I fully produce it myself. I pay all of my artists. I pay my staff. Um, it's in Astoria, Queens. The next one is January 7th, and it's incredible. One, I definitely want to collaborate and make music with people, Um and I need the money to make my music video because I will have my drag king and drag thing and queens video where we're all up and it's like that big party. If that is my dream. I will have it. Um,
0: That is your roadmap.
1: That is my roadmap. <laughs> that is my roadmap. And here is my presentation. Um, And just, just live life. And of course, just like uplifting the kings and things. Like if you're not following Klondike, follow Klondike, Zaddy Addy. And just like, promoting each other and lifting each other up and the cake boys
0: and you also have a single on spotify right
1: i do i have a single on spotify and that's when i perform on stage too so what's it called it's called the king and the muse um it's about being queer and trans and loving someone who has queer and transphobia within them and kind of like the difficulty of navigating that like you love someone so much but like you know essentially you're living a lie if you can't you know be out or or there's nothing wrong with being in the closet because some people have to deal with their safety like this is specifically about feeling like you're on the back burner because you're not ready to tell people you know about this person so anyway that's what it is the king and the muse ideally i would like to put out more singles um put out an ep and then next year just like record the music video just as a as a tribute to the people I love the drag king and the drag thing community and New York City I love New York
0: I love this roadmap it's so cool I'm gonna stream that single now I, I when I was going through your Instagram I saw that you had one I'm like ooh, but it didn't give me time to stream it but I am so ready and I'm gonna add it to my library and I'm so ready to see that video oh my goodness I know it's gonna be a party
1: I know. And I got to come out to L.A. L.A. for me, like, I can't live in L.A. because, like, I need my subway systems. But I love going to L.A. I, I don't know. It's just like a. it's like my um getaway from New York. But ah, soon, soon, soon. I got to go to L.A.
0: And I need to go to New York again. I've been there once in my entire life. And I need to go back. It was before COVID. It was so long ago. I need to go out there. And you know what? The funny part is that I couldn't find a single drag show to go to. But it's probably because it was a Saturday when I was looking. I'm like, they told me, oh, most of them happen during the week. I'm like, oh, okay.
1: That's the hard part. It's like a, a blessing and a curse to live in Queens. Because, yeah, we have a lot of drag shows here I'm usually exhausted by the end of any day. So like, I'm in my 30s, I rest. But like, there's always something going on in Brooklyn. And I I worry that if I lived in Brooklyn, I wouldn't live in my apartment. I would just be like-
0: Out and about.
1: Like what year is it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to 100 Steps to Drag. If you like my podcast, please leave me a review. If you didn't like it, um, you can keep that for yourself. I'll see you next Tuesday. Bye.